Welcome to the Allen and Overy podcast. As part of this series of podcasts, we are discussing ways in which parties can exit contracts which they no longer wish to be bound by against the background of the events coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast will focus on material adverse change clauses in English law governed contracts. My name is Chris Mitchell, and I'm a senior associate in the ANO Structured and Asset Finance Practice. Joining me today are Helen Biggin, a counsel in ANO's London litigation team, and Peter Watson, a consultant in our London litigation team. In our discussion today, we will focus on when material adverse change or MAC clauses can be triggered and what factors parties need to consider when drafting as well as invoking a MAC clause. Now, when we were preparing contractual documents in financing or leasing arrangements, it is common to see a MAC clause agreed to in some shape or form, but these are typically heavily negotiated between the parties. A question, however, which clients often ask is how do MAC clauses work or play out? These clauses have been closely scrutinized following the commencement of the COVID-19 pandemic. And further to this initial question, a number of queries I've seen from clients is that they're keen to understand to what extent parties can rely on a MAC clause if their ability to perform their contractual obligations has changed in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Is there anything that parties can do? Thanks, Chris. Those are key questions concerning the operation of MAC clauses, especially given the ongoing impact of COVID. But before delving into those questions, I think it would be helpful if I just provided a brief summary of what a MAC clause is and then to provide some detail, which Helen will expand upon, about how MAC clauses are interpreted by the courts. I mean, first, as you stated, MAC clauses are just not in standard forms. They will vary and they vary from contract to contract and depend a great deal on the type of contract parties are negotiating. So importantly, the industry or sector in which the parties operate can be crucial to the interpretation of a MAC clause. At a high level, MAC clauses in their usual form often provide that if there is a particular event or change which materially and adversely affects either one of the parties or even its operations or assets, then the occurrence of such change will trigger certain rights. This may include the right not to perform certain obligations or may even include the right for one party to unilaterally terminate the agreement. And sometimes it shouldn't be overlooked. The occurrence of a MAC requires notice to be given that the party thinks a MAC event has occurred. So the events to which I've referred could include, for example, changes to interest rates, changes to conditions within the relevant industry or sector, or the occurrence of a specific event or matter as agreed between the parties and stipulated explicitly in the contract. But that's where the problem lies, Chris. MAC clauses are quite diverse. And because they depend on so many factors, the difficulty that then arises before the courts is how MAC clauses should be interpreted, given that they can vary quite significantly on a contract-to-contract -contract basis. That's right, Peter. And it's an interesting problem we face because while MAC clauses are common in financing and lease agreements, there is limited case law explaining how MAC clauses are interpreted and when they are deemed to bite. However, the case law that does exist provides important guidance. In the group Hotelero and Carey Value Added case, the court emphasised that the ordinary rules of contractual interpretation should also apply to the interpretation of MAC clauses and that the court should generally give effect to what the parties have stipulated in their agreement by applying well-settled rules as to the interpretation of contracts. In this case, the court also provided helpful guidance on how courts should interpret the terms material and materially adverse. 
the court suggested that a change can be regarded as such if it would have caused the lender not to have lent at all or to have lent on significantly more onerous terms, for example, by shortening the term of a loan or by asking for additional security, or if it would substantially affect the borrower's ability to repay or more generally significantly increase the risk which the lender assumes in entering into the financial arrangement. As you can probably tell, this case related to the funding of a hotel complex, but the principles apply generally to all cases, including lease agreements. On the face of it, this judgment appears favourable to lenders and financiers, but the court has made it quite clear that a party cannot rely on a MAC clause if they were aware of the circumstances now relied upon to trigger the MAC clause at the time they entered into the contract, or if such circumstances were reasonably foreseeable at the time the contract was entered into. Thanks, Helen. It's also important to note that the court will apply a broad view of the circumstances and ensure that additional factors are taken into account, including, for example, the presence of insurance or warranty cover. However, it could also include, for example, any commitment from shareholders of the borrower to provide equity support to mitigate the effects of the adverse events or circumstances. And that's from the Hotelero case. As recently as last year, the English court in the Travelport case was forced to consider the proper construction of a MAC clause in the context of a share purchase agreement. In this case, the proposed buyer sought to rely on a MAC clause triggered due to the events of the COVID-19 pandemic on the target companies. The case involved a complex MAC clause containing a large number of exceptions. These exceptions provided that the particular matters that were set out as exceptions were not to be taken as constituting a material adverse change for the purpose of the MAC clause. However, the MAC clause also provided that if certain exceptions had a disproportionate effect on certain parties, then a material adverse change could arise such that the MAC clause could be triggered. So this case highlights the importance for parties to ensure that they clearly define the scope and application of a MAC clause. This includes any specific exceptions which the party is contemplating as being within the clause, but also those that are outside the scope of the MAC clause at the time the contract is entered into. The English court has similarly taken the view that material in the context of a provision similar to a MAC clause would also have the same meaning as significant or substantial by applying an objective test. And that's the Decura case. This, of course, assumes that there are no other factors or indications within the agreement which suggest otherwise, such as the application of a subjective test in the position of one or more parties to the contract. Okay. So then going back specifically to my initial questions, whether MAC clauses may be triggered due to the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, the short answer is that this will vary greatly depending on the application and scope. So if a party is currently struggling to meet its obligations under a contract because of the impact of the pandemic and applying the principles of contractual interpretation, it seems that a MAC clause that does not reference a pandemic or something similar cannot necessarily be relied upon. Similarly, if the actual effects of the pandemic on a particular party do not satisfy the definition of material adverse change within the contract, or such event was not contemplated by the parties to be considered within the scope of the definition material adverse change, then the MAC clause cannot be relied upon. 
Yes, that's right. Of course, it's important to bear in mind that even where a MAC clause is drafted in terms that would allow one party to form an opinion as to whether it's been triggered, so even if it included references to pandemic here, that party must have an honest and rational belief that the MAC event has occurred, and they need to have evidence that they do have that honest and rational belief before taking any action to trigger the MAC clause. That would include, for example, setting out their decision in a board resolution or internal paper. So in summary, uh, key points. Well, I've got three. First, general principles of contractual interpretation also apply to the interpretation of MAC clauses. Secondly, the interpretation of MAC clauses varies depending on the nature of the contract between the parties, but it also depends on the context, such as the industry or sector in which the parties operate. And thirdly, the term material is often interpreted as significant or substantial through an objective test. And therefore, there is a higher onus on the event being important to the reasonable person for a material adverse change to have occurred. Yes, and don't forget as well that the extent to which the COVID-19 pandemic can trigger a MAC clause will depend upon the precise wording of each specific MAC clause. And that will depend not only on how and when a MAC clause can be triggered, but also the scope of what the parties contemplated to be a materially adverse change event. And unless the parties specifically contemplated a MAC event to include a pandemic, then it's unlikely that the current COVID-19 pandemic would be captured within the scope of a MAC clause. Helen, Peter, thank you so much for this interesting discussion. As always, it has been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. We will place the full references to the cases we've mentioned today on our website if you're interested in further information. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact any of us or your usual A&O contact. Thank you. Thank you.